0: I am not the body. I am not even the mind. I am not the body. I am not even the mind. I am not the body. I am not even the mind. Bit of sad guru to start. Maybe that was the the French, French Indian sad guru. Look, and I know you're not allowed to do accents anymore. But that was actually fine because I I love Sadhguru and I love French people and I love Indian people and there's only love in my heart. So that was just fun to say it like that. And that's my best attempt at how he says it. And I love those words. Those words, those simple words, first time I heard them, I really didn't like them. Not only did they not make any sense, but they seemed to be the opposite of what was true. I I am the body, yeah I'm sure I'm the body because I feel my body and I feel what it's like to be in my body and and I only have this body and my body is different to your body and I am completely connected to my body and I'm also the mind because I feel what it's like to be in my mind and I know that thoughts that I have in my mind and my mind is different from your mind and so yeah I, I actually am the body and I am the mind. But as I allowed those words to wash over me and to see what they meant and see how they felt, they've become wonderfully true to me. And I, I'm convinced with certainty that they are true. I, I am not. I am not the body and I am not even the mind. Whoever I am, whatever this life is that is, is me, it is not it is just contained in the body and the mind. It is somehow bigger than, and so that meditation from Sadhguru, I find it the quickest way into mindfulness, which is the ability of you know being separate from your own thought, which is to be out of your own head, looking back in. So this idea of the subject-object switch to practice objectivity to get some space from your suffering. Uh, I love Sadhguru says. Uh, or suffering is either in the body or in the mind. So the moment you are not the body or not even the mind, then you get distance from suffering as well. If you if you can't identify with your body or your mind, then you also can't suffer in that moment. So to get a break and to look back in, and to gain some distance from the drama or the, the stress or the, the problems that are seemingly unique to you and to drop out into a universal space of wonder and awe and connection. I, I love that. And I'm so grateful for Sadhguru's work in the world. And Sadhguru, if you're listening, love you. I love you. And I'm appreciative. Appreciative? Yeah, I appreciate you. Now, an update on TEDx. You heard me talk a couple of weeks ago about me pitching my big idea I think this is my best idea I I really I really do it is my best idea I know it is and the opportunity came to pitch that at the TEDx open mic night you probably heard me say that the first email back said Jamin unfortunately we've reviewed your submission and you are not successful at pitching Uh, to which I crumbled and then an hour later email came back saying, Jamin, we've reviewed your submission and congratulations, you've been successful and we'd love to welcome you on the stage to pitch your idea for three minutes. So that was amazing. And then when I got there uh, well rehearsed and really clear about my idea and I got on the stage, the idea fell flat in front of me and, and there was no magic in anything that I said. And so I thought the likelihood of going through to the main stage was very slim. However, one of the speaking coaches gave me some... Encouragement that perhaps they would select me. Anyway, I got the email back uh, two days ago saying, Jaywen, unfortunately, we have reviewed your pitch, and at this stage, your idea has not been successful in going through to the main event. To which I thought, is this just a trick? Is there another one coming in an hour? And uh, another one didn't come in an hour. And so, like, to be honest, that reading that was like, ah, man, gee, because. Because I'm committed not only to this idea, but the value of this idea and to share this idea. And so to share that on the TEDx stage, wonderful. But then like a split second later, I'm instantly relieved that they've said no, because with 100% certainty, I I know this idea is my best and I know it's the idea that is the culmination of my life's work and the idea that will... um, you know, bring great value to the world, and so someone's going to share it. Someone will be a, a, a conduit, a facilitator for this message, and so great. So, so TEDx Canberra, uh, the fact that they didn't know who I was or what this message really meant, that's fine. That that's great. That just that just removes them out of the way, so that so that uh, the person, the the, the organisation, the platform. That is the facilitator and the conduit for this message, and can become clearer. So, and that's not me just being optimistic or putting a positive spin on things. It's speaking from a place of great certainty, and but just sharing the process that I still I still got knocked when they said no. I didn't. It didn't just not even touch me. It touched me. I promise you, it touched me. Then a moment later, it was gone, and and to a place of real gratitude that they said no. Um, And they they might regret saying, no, that's fine. But they may not ever even know what they said no to. That's fine, too. I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. I know the message that I have. Um, And and an update on the book. So I've been waking before my alarm every day for the last three three weeks, maybe even four weeks, and just balls deep in writing this book, uh, Midlife. Motivation, upgrading from self discipline to self permission. And the fact that I'm waking before my alarm to me is a beautiful sign of permission to really show up and get this done. Uh, and it, it feels just like a marathon. When I, like the first four marathons that I ran, it was before I understood about self permission. And so it was self discipline energy, energy against myself, energy making myself do the thing that I must. Uh, and then the preceding four marathons were all self-permission energy and and similarly when i understood self permission and had full permission from myself to go run a fast marathon every morning i would wake up before my alarm and the alarm was being set for 5am sometimes earlier it's the middle of winter you know so it's not like it's all beer and skittles but but i had energy and motivation and was so excited about my session each morning so yeah, the writing is really flowing at the moment. And just to let you in on a, a little secret, um, so I'm actually writing the most important personal development book released in the last twenty years. Um, you didn't hear that from me, okay? Just keep that on the down low, just so when HarperCollins or Rethink Press or uh, whoever it is that that publishes this in the US, when they say that. Um, you won't be surprised. You're like, yeah, I think I already knew that. I think someone told me, that. I can't remember who it was. Someone did say that, so yeah, but that's what's happening. Um, now, I understand that the words that I speak about the work that I'm doing and who I am do sound similar to someone who is arrogant, conceited, closed, and sure. I, I do understand that. And I'd imagine for some of you, maybe even maybe even if you're new to this podcast. And by the way, welcome to a bunch of new listeners, especially new listeners from the US. Uh, off the back of some podcasts that I've been on lately, there's been a, a flood of new interest for the Insecurity Project, which is very exciting. And uh, yeah, really want to take a moment to welcome you. So if this is if you're early on in the podcast journey and not really sure who I am or how I do what I do, I, I can understand it. Being really certain about what I'm doing can sound a little off. No one, I don't think self-promotion comes across palatable at any stage when you hear someone big noting themselves. I understand that, but the reason that I let you in on how I think and feel about the work that I'm doing and, and how I see myself in the world is because it's the special not special trap and to articulate how this works for me so that you can try it on and you can notice how this can work for you too. So you might have heard me explain this before. If you haven't, here's the simple idea. Most people get the special not special thing around the wrong way, i.e. they are convinced their problems are special. They have pro- they have unique and special problems and so they are putting a lot of energy into trying to gain sympathy and understanding for their unique set of circumstances and in their mind it's their unique problem that's the reason why they haven't done the thing that they want to do or they could do and so it's it's unfair to be them that it's difficult to be them if they weren't them then they'd be fine to be moving forward but they are them so if you just understood how hard it was for them you'd understand how special they are uh, and you'd go easy on them and and you would you would give them value because of their special challenge but that's actually that's actually not true, not not at all. Uh, your problems are not special, not even close to being special. They're really boring. They're predictable. They're universal. And when you can kind of get over your need to be special, like you do need to be special, and you are special, we'll, we'll get there. So don't don't hear me say you're not special because of course you're bloody special. But but if you if you don't know who you are inherently and you haven't understood your great inherent value and worth then this core need for significance will show up in all kinds of unresourceful ways and one of the most unresourceful ways it will show up will be getting your specialness your significance your validation through dysfunction that'll be how you'll go about it because there's no other valid way to do it so you'll have to get it get it through having a having a pain or problem or some reason why you're different and if you've got to be different in a bad way great well at least you're still different and that's he you gonna stand out so yeah a lot of energy into special problems and and then you kind of miss the fact that if you've got to be special to have problems and you don't get to see how special you really are without those problems so the beautiful way of thinking this through is to go when you realize that your problems are not special that they're universal and predictable you can get over yourself and just trust the process do the work and solve your non-special problems so that your real specialness can come to the fore you are you are the only one of you you do have a unique contribution to the world you are unique and wonderfully unique in in the specifics of what makes you you so I I love being special. I am special. My work is special. I'm bringing something special to the world. And you also are special. You also have something very special to bring to the world. However, you'll never know your own specialness while ever you're putting all your special energy into having special problems. So the reason that I share how it feels for me is so you can kind of try it on. You can wrestle with it. You can, You can face the cognitive dissonance of hearing someone talk in a way that can sound arrogant and conceited and yet when you search for that arrogance or conceit you can't find it because it's not there what you're actually experiencing is someone who has found their own specialness and that will give you confidence you could find your own specialness too and it's not an easy thing to do it's a very rare thing to find genuine specialness rather than the artificial forms Uh, my uncle has has had me help him create a website for his new book that he's just written uh, the uncle who got me into running is also the uncle who has pioneered the way in writing as well and so as a journalist I've always been impressed by his writing and so he's written his latest book, it's a work, a labour of love that's taken him almost 10 years to produce, he's written a book around the, um, the weatherman in fact uh, Australia's first celebrity weatherman Clement Rag and a very fascinating book and it's something he believes in wholeheartedly it's an incredible story to tell and and so i'm helping him create an online presence to sell this book and promote this book and uh, he's got some book launches coming up in the coming weeks and months Uh, and yet the other day he's uh, he's not uh, very uh, familiar with facebook doesn't use it a lot but kind of i was encouraging him to share some content and um you know, let people know the new website. And so, th- he had some friends that had asked him about where they could find this website, and um, and he shared a, a link to his website on Facebook. And he thought he was just sharing it to two or three people of his friends. Didn't understand that um, all his friends and friends of friends would actually see this post that he put up. And so, he had a flood of likes and comments, and people encouraging him. And um, you know, he kind of posted this at night and woken up the next morning. And and felt nauseated by how many people had paid attention to his post, like physically sick. (laughs) He was telling me the next day. He says, he says, Jamin, you got to understand. uh, As a Fraser, by the way, not a Jamin Fraser, but a but a Fraser, we don't promote ourselves. In fact, self promotion is the ultimate sin. And so he he'd commit in in the interest of. Uh, I've written a book so I think I'm trying to sell that book and just sell that book I, I need people to know about that book all that actually makes sense however when he pressed the button on the internet and people came looking he felt physically ill and it's just, just hilarious around what happens when you tie your horse to the wrong tree when you tie your identity to an artificial construct it doesn't feel artificial it feels real so you know he's obviously got evidence that Um, growing up in in the world that he grew up you were you were not rewarded for drawing attention to yourself in fact you were rewarded for the opposite you were you were chastised and critiqued and condemned for anything that would resemble any kind of self-promotion any kind of conceitedness any arrogance and in fact you were very much encouraged to take a back seat to be quiet uh, to prefer others and so the need for love and connection and certainty was all met by playing the game that way and then to tie it into the fact that not only is this a strategy I was developed but this is who I am because when I was born and given this name Fraser I got born into a game that's played this way and so you know, he's now uh, early 70s and still tied to this identity tied to this word, tied to this game and Uh, that's like when you can see it like that and see how counterproductive that is and then realize that that's not the only way you can think about yourself you're you're able to free yourself from those narratives if you think about them clearly one of the most profound experiences of transformation in my life was a a timeline experience i did Uh, timelines an nlp modality helping you kind of go back into the data of your past to see defining moments in a more objective way and then to realize what was missing from those moments and then bring the resources back to yourself to reframe and heal and so um, I'd, I'd noticed a pattern of behavior of feeling anxious when good things had happened to me and that was, that was concerning and surprising and alarming and problematic because good things were happening to me in increasing measure. I'd gone from being someone who dreamed dreams and was ambitious and really put my back into things and didn't see results to then having results starting to come my way, having wins rather than losses. And that and was strange because I thought all I want is wins and yet when the wins started to come, I felt weird about the wins and didn't really know what to do with them and thought maybe that they would be short-lived and then taken from me. And so there was this growing anxiety in the good times that I'd known how to survive in the bad times, but the good times, yeah, crazy, eh? But I did this timeline session and kind of went back to the origins of that and um, had an experience of seeing a big part of the origin of that when I got given the name Jamin Fraser. So... I got gifted into a family, as we all do, um, a family who was very excited that I was gifted to them. I was the firstborn son, and my parents were overjoyed. Uh, It was a very spiritually meaningful moment when I entered their world. It was born into their family, and to commemorate my arrival, they gave me a name. They called me Jamin, and I took on their surname. Now... Everyone gets a name, and so it's easy to kind of miss what happens there. But in an instant, some vibrations in a vocal box had defined who I was. Now I am a Fraser. So being called a Fraser meant I also got invited into a generalization, into a pattern of behavior, into a culture, into a game, into a rule book, into a playbook that phrases new and non-phrases knew you know, as phrases there were things that were expected of phrases there were certain things that were anticipated of phrases there were certain things that made phrases phrases as different from Brown's or Smith's or Jones and so I didn't know that there was any choice in that I just I was a phraser, objectively I was a phraser. this was my family this was my name and so I played the game as a Fraser because I was a Fraser. So it wasn't until I'm 35 that I'm having this experience of going back and reviewing that moment in time where I got given that name and given that game and that rule book and realized that uh, that was an artificial game, that it wasn't inherent. It wasn't objectively true about me. I got gifted into a family and a couple of vibrations in a vocal box could never actually describe who i was the limit of what was inside me how my life must play out what i'm capable of what i'm not capable of and what i should do with what i should do and how i should behave and perform and so to watch myself go back through that experience being born to that family and with gratitude and respect not identifying with that name going, I'm actually not Jamin Fraser. I'm not the body. I'm not even the mind. I'm not my name. I'm not my family of origin. I'm other than that. I'm bigger than that. I'm more than that. And so the freedom to break free from those rules and the game meant then I could create my own game. So I decided that I would like to play the game where it was okay to to have a better relationship with money it was okay to have a better relationship with time it was okay to have a better relationship with myself it was okay to, to behave very differently than phrases typically behave because it's my rules my game my life and this is clearly evident to others you know my uncle watches me behave different to him he says as a phrase self-promotion is the ultimate sin but obviously not the Jamin phrase it's just the other phrases so he's watched me find a way to write a new narrative even though i share the same surname which is perplexing obviously and this is the fun of it you can have it however you like once you understand that it is a game that's being played and you're not the actor in the story you're the storyteller I got a text message this week from someone who asked me a question that seemed really simple but proved to be very very difficult they'd said "Jamin, what's your top three words for moving something from thought into reality and i thought wow i only get three words i've got to find three words that would accurately describe the process of bringing dreams into the real world and I, I, I couldn't answer that. It's, it was too hard. It was too, too big a question. I, perhaps there are smarter people who could who could pinpoint three words. but I need a bit more time. And so in thinking it's a, it's a great question and it's a great issue, you know one that we all are challenged with. How do you how do you move a dream into the real world? We all have ideas, we all have ambitions, we all have goals and most people will be locked out of those experiences. They won't ever become the real world. world. They'll remain dreams and they'll be separated from them. So how does anyone see their dreams come true? Is it magic or is there process? Is there structure? So in in reflecting on that, I think here here are the three things, so maybe not three words, but three ideas that I've found most transformative in seeing dreams come true, because that is my experience right now. I'm in an extremely fruitful productive, powerful season of life where things that I have dreamed about in my future are now my experience, and, and my dreams keep getting bigger and, and more expansive, which is a lovely thing to have happen, and I have a very joyful experience of, of life right now, which I'm in, you know wonderfully grateful for, so to share what has worked for me and, and how I'm having that experience, it's useful for me to recap and consolidate these ideas, and you, you might find value in it as well. So the first idea, and probably the most important, is that I trust myself. I, I genuinely trust my nature. And, and that's, no, that's no small thing. Easy to say, hard to do. I haven't always trusted myself. I've been suspicious of my motives. I've not trusted my desires. I've thought the worst. I've had unresolved issues dilemmas shame embarrassment guilt disappointment hurt woundedness in my shadow that i have suppressed i have not known what to do with and so that is all eroded trust that is all meant it's not safe to trust myself and so i, I would need to manage myself instead but that's not my experience now not at all to have reviewed all the data of my life to have looked through the misunderstandings the betrayals the accusations the agreements the opinions the assumptions that just aren't true that don't stack up to have apologized for any behavior that has betrayed who I am and to make peace have great rapport restore a loving and trusting relationship with myself so that I know who I am and I like who I am and I trust me I I actually trust me and so that that provides an incredible place of safety to go play in the world and if dreams are anything, they are—they are a playful space. They are adventurous. They are—you're talking about impossibilities. You're talking about things that aren't real yet, that aren't normal yet, that aren't possible yet. And so, if you cannot play, if it's not safe to play, your dreams will always be too safe and and too realistic already, which means they're not honest. To tell the truth, you have to trust that it's okay to tell the truth, that your truth is beautiful and, and good and worthy and that you can handle the truth. So that's the first thing. And that's consistent with all the work around overcoming insecurity, of reviewing the data of your past. That's the stuff that I talk about all day, every day with clients. That's the work that I have the privilege of, of being invited into people's life to do, to rebuild trust. Trust is rebuildable. It doesn't take time to rebuild trust. It takes an effective apology and an and end to the danger, the danger that you create to yourself by misunderstanding who you really are. Um, the second thing is that I, I do know what I want. And event, again, a very easy thing to say, but hard to do, because the reason I know what I want is because of the process of playing with these ideas for years. So the silly ideas only exercise that I described on a podcast a month ago of um, you know no accountability no responsibility i can't get it wrong so swing away silly ideas only if you could have anything what anything would you want and the process of playing with dreams goals desires to then understand there are certain things that are that are true that i do actually want and often it would be far easier if i didn't want them but when i tell the truth about what i really want it turns out that i do want certain things And that's an important thing to know it's an important thing to double down on to stop pretending that I don't know what I know to stop pretending that I don't know what I want I do know what I want and I do know why I want it so uh, a well formed outcome differs from a desire because um, you know the thing that you want it's never actually about the thing it's always about what the thing represents so to explore the highest intention behind all your goals dreams desires is a central part of knowing what you really want and knowing why you really want it and that frees you from an attachment to a particular vehicle you know because what i thinking back to the TEDx experience i don't actually want to speak at TEDx what i want is to bring an idea to the world in a way that allows that idea to have its full effect. So if I think what I need is TEDx then if TEDx says no then my dream must die. But but I don't actually want or need TEDx. What I what I want is an idea to be brought to the world and so when TEDx says no then that's great fine fantastic it just rules out one of the vehicles that possibly could have been the one that gets the job done so then I can move on to the next one or the next one or the next one or the next one or the next one it's all fine so that's a really really important thing so that that clarity around what I want I'm more clear about what I want than ever before in my life um, and thirdly more than just being clear about what I want I've I've organized all my best energy toward what I want. So I've actually gone all in on what I want. I've, I've said yes to what I want. I have said no to, to what I don't want and yes to what I do want and, and had the processing internally to gain full permission from myself to go after these goals and dreams and desires. And that all in nature actually requires me to then go into the unseen world and create these results to go okay if this is what you want and you know why you want it and you have full permission to want this then go get ready to receive these things as well and in order to receive them you must know that this is already your reality and to know it's already your reality your job is to go create that reality stephen covey everything created twice first creation in the unseen world Second creation is just a manifestation of what has already been created, either by design or by default. That's how everything works. So to understand the structure of that means, okay, then, then if I trust myself, I know what I want, and I'm all in on what I want, well, then go and create these results. Actually go and create them. Go and envisage. Go and embody. Go and taste and see and feel and more than believe that this is possible actually go and receive these things in your future already and then you can relax then you can know with certainty that they are on their way and you can trust you can hand the plan over to your unconscious mind and go excellent i already know this is true and i trust my natural ability to get this so okay lead on lead the way an, ex- an example of this this week, I shared a, a testimonial from Glenn Carlson, who has been a real hero of mine. Oh, it still is, it's Glenn. If you're listening, you're still my hero. Love you, Glenn. You, Glenn, made a massive contribution to my life through the Key Person of Influence program that I did in in 2018. It just was a missing piece in the puzzle for me in terms of my business structure, my business skills. I, I was. Putting all my best energy into areas that were never going to work, and so his process just brilliant, and it changed my life. Um, but then to have Glenn say, "This uh, his is this his is his testimonial. This is this is what he said about me," because he's then come and become a client of mine. So. He says Jamin is widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the country, if not the world. And if I had to choose between time with Anthony Robbins or Jamin Fraser, I'd choose Jamin hands down. Now that's a that's a stunning thing for him to say. And and the thing that I love most about him saying that is that I said that first. So I for him to say that, the only way that he could say that is if that is already a result that i've created for myself so when i when i did the work around trusting myself and then got clear about what i wanted was to be one of if not the best coaches in the country and why stop there then also in the world and to understand that that was a good thing to want that that was aligned to who i really was that i wasn't wanting to play basketball with lebron james or beat elliott kipchoge at a marathon or you know be the quarterback for the new england patriots i I, what i wanted was a good thing to want it was an honest thing to want and so to have full permission to want that and then to go create it and so 10 years from now when i first saw that in my mind i then went went and created it the be do have model rather than have do be which is the victim when i have enough results when i have enough support when i have enough time when i have enough skill then i'll do the things that that I should do, that I know I need to do to make progress, and then I'll be happy and successful. The problem is I actually don't have enough time or support or energy or money or resources or whatever, so I'm waiting and I'm comparing myself to all the people who've got all those things already, who've got an unfair advantage on me. Um, Or the worker, which is the do-have-be they're not waiting they're just head down bum up they think the only thing separating them from their goals is just hard work and so they're trying really hard they're hustling they're forcing they're fighting they're disciplining they're just really working hard and they're just convinced that the more i do then the more i will have and the more i will have the happier i will be the problem is they get stuck in this cycle of doing and having and doing and having and the more they do the more there is still to do and the more they have now the more there is to lose and this being always eludes them. It's always this magical thing that's just outside of their, grip, their grasp. So the be, do, have is the counterintuitive, countercultural way of the winner. And it's the only way that works. So the winner is not waiting and not working. They understand what they want. They know why they want it they have permission to go get it and then they begin with the end in mind they see themselves already receiving that already being that person before they have any right to and that's a key right there before anyone else is saying it about them before anyone else would have any reason to think this is empirically true of them it's their job to know it's true to speak that it is true to see that it is true and to make it true and so walking around in my water tank 10 years ago saying, hey, when I see you. you are the best coach in the country, if not one of the best coaches in the world. Your coaching is breathtaking. Your ability to facilitate transformation is world-class. I see who you are. I know your work in the world. So I'm, I'm just explaining to you the process that has, that has brought my dream into reality. And so, ten years later, there are lots of people saying that about me, including one of my heroes. He says, "Yeah, look, I've been to Anthony Robbins, and I'd choose time with you." Holy smokes! Look at that. How how beautiful. This this is how I saw it ten years ago, and now here it is in the real world in front of me. So, I, like, I I'm special, but I but my problems are not special. So you don't so that that model it. It would work for you too, just like it's worked for me, just like it's worked for everyone else it's worked for. <laughs> so that's the reason I share it with you, not to say, oh, I'm I'm special because this worked for me. No, 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 I, I'm special after it worked for me and then I get to be special and bring my own uniqueness to the world, just like you. Look, I hope that's useful. I'll leave it there for this week. I'll talk to you again soon.